The Second Coming, Part 11. Who knew? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Guess I didn't realize what I was doing <laughs> when I started this thing. <laughs> well, I, I'm. Thank you for that. I I appreciate that. We always appreciate kind comments. Because every now and then we do get the other kind. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> appreciate it very much. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Revelation nineteen seven to ten, I was hoping to go further, but then I started studying this and then I started looking at what was ahead and there's a lot involved with uh, the actual physical second coming little thing like Armageddon and I know people always have questions about that and so like next week as we look at the battle of Armageddon I need to draw in some Old Testament prophets into the discussion you know, Ezekiel, Zechariah, our good buddy Daniel again. I mean, Isaiah. I mean, there, those have to be brought in, uh, brought to bear, and try to make. We won't even be able to get all of them. I mean, there's a bunch said about that in Isaiah. There's a, you know, you got passages here, but they're just scattered all over the place. But uh, the big ones, the ones that can really tie in together, especially all the armies coming in, and we already looked at it a little bit when we read that Zechariah. 14. But anyway, that's next week. <laughs> this week is 19, 7 through 10. I'm going to start by reading it. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I have some tremendous statements there. Now, back to, okay, who's this wife? Who's this bride? Well, some say it's the redeemed of Israel, for Israel is often called the wife of the Lord. Uh, however, in most instances where Israel is referred to as the wife, it's usually a wife that is wandering off, committing harlotry, being un the unfaithful wife. Uh, and this wife here is being presented spotless. Now, and if we go through, um, let's look at Isaiah 54. Speaking of Isaiah, Isaiah 54, just let's look at a couple of them. They're all over the place in the Old Testament, but, and I don't want to belabor that point anyway. I just want to, you know, make it enough that we can see what's going on here. Isaiah 54, 5 through 8 says, for your husband, speaking to Israel, for your husband is your maker. See, there it is, the, the, the husband-wife uh, 
analogy, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who called, who is called the God of all the earth. For the, for the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you. With the great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting forgiveness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now, somebody says, well, wouldn't that mean that maybe they're ready by then? No, because we're going to see some more passages. Ezekiel 16, just kind of hang on to this for a while. Ezekiel 16, 32. This one's self-explanatory. You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Well, <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty, pretty much to the point. Is as uh, graphic it as it needs to be, and then you have Hosea, chapter one, verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go take, take yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, for the land commits fragrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord." So here again, the whole book of Hosea is addressing that issue and um, you got to feel for Hosea being a prophet was a tough deal in his day now the church though is without question identified as Christ's bride very clearly and in a different light than Israel let's look at Ephesians 5 Ephesians 5 where the marriage relationship is compared to the relationship between Christ and his church. So Ephesians 5.23-32, and the most oftentimes this passage is taught, is pretty much taught about the marriage relationship, which is not wrong, but really that's, that's not the main thrust of this passage. Start looking at it. I get into this. I, I just wanted to read twenty-two also, but anyway, but I'm not. For the for the husband, I know. I, I I'm ladies. I'm hey. I'm on your side, okay. <laughs> Actually, so is so is verse twenty-two. But anyway, for the husband is the verse twenty-three. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. And men, as you do read that, you husbands out there, or future husbands, wannabe husbands, you know, take this to heart, that comparison. It's, I tell you, when you really look at what is being said here, puts a high burden on us. Very high burden. And I would just say to the ladies, help us out every now and then. <laughs> okay. But as the church, it's I know, and I appreciate it. But <laughs> well, we got the... Uh, peanut gallery going okay but as the church is subject to christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present himself 
present to himself the church in all her glory. And this is where the big difference is between the church and Israel, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Okay, now see, that's the big thrust of this, although he's making the analogy to the husband-wife relationship. Nevertheless, each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Okay, well, you see there, like verses 25 and through 27, I just want to read that one again and then go back to Revelation. Verse 25 through 27 again says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Now, Revelation 19. <clears throat> Verse 7 and 8. Yes. Well, But ladies, you know, that's not illegal to go for an upgrade. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has, has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And how's that? Well, verse 8. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints. That's why, and we're going to look at that, what that means a little bit further in our lesson, but for now I just want to try to establish that I think there's really little doubt to, in my mind that the bride here, the wife here, is in fact the church. Okay? Uh, Look at Matthew twenty six twenty nine. Matter of fact, we don't have to go there, but Matthew twenty six twenty nine, at the Last Supper, what did he say at the end of the meal? I will do what? Not eat of this until what? Twenty. Everybody's real close. Exodus twenty nine. Exodus Matthew twenty six twenty nine. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day, when I drink it new with you, in my Father's kingdom. In my Father's kingdom. Just hold on to this stuff. Actually, there's a. We're going to wrap it up here as I get further down. I'm just kind of laying out some groundwork. Now. And then we compare the clothing of the bride 
in 19 verse 8 in Revelation 19:8, where it says you know given her clothed herself in fine linen bright and clean for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints <clears throat> now compare that with the what it's called his army in 1914 which we'll get at next week and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean were, were following him on white horses again the same attire the same attire and now we keep looking <clears throat> and this I think is a big point at this point in time what they're talking about at the marriage supper of the lamb there's only one the only ones with resurrection bodies in heaven is the church otherwise you'd be putting white robes on spirits they don't stick they don't hang very well they yeah, kind of go, kind of fall right through them. Not, not gonna work. Not gonna work. Okay. And so, <clears throat> I mean, you look at first uh, first Corinthians fifteen. Hey, we got Easter coming up. This might be a preview of coming attractions. Who know? First Corinthians fifteen, that great resurrection chapter, really the teaching on it. Just take a few verses there to look at them. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty to fifty three. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, he's, this is being written to people that are still living in their live, warm bodies. But what happens when those live, warm bodies poop out? Our spirits, our souls, go up into heaven, right? And so, and all those that have gone on before us are souls in heaven. I, we believe, I believe, and I think maybe you guys get it now too, that the 24 elders that are spoken of represent the church and man, I'll tell you with those four cherubim we form quite an effective amen chorus up there you know I think we'll be doing just fine but we're in bodies and First um, Thessalonians is essentially saying the same thing and that's the, that's the, the famous rapture passage First um, <clears throat> Thessalonians 4 13 to 18 again it says we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that they that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus, and here again, this here's a, a, a quick overview of the gospel, right? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's another in Christ. Those who are true believers are in Jesus, in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he goes on, therefore comfort one another with these words. Thessalonians were concerned, well, what happened to the... See, they were all anticipating... I mean, uh, that the, the return was going to come real soon, real soon. 
Okay, now one thing you notice about the rapture, it's talking about we, he comes back, but not all the way to earth. We are caught up and meet him in the air. Okay, the second coming, he's coming down, and he's going to step on the Mount of Olives. Remember? So that's different. And you'll notice one thing. Remember, Paul says, this is a, this is a mystery. Um, one thing you won't see, you will not see the rapture anywhere in the Old Testament. You won't read about it in all these events in the tribulation period that we've been reading, studying about in Revelation. You won't read about it. There's a little hint where, and people read probably more into that passage where uh, the voice went to John says, come up here. Well, okay, that was for John to come up and listen to what Revelation was going to be given him. So that's a stretch to say that's the rapture. I'll tell you what's not a stretch is when when Jesus said, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many, many rooms. You know, if it weren't so, I'd have told you. So I told you, therefore, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, <laughs> okay? That where I am, you may be also. And that, again, is another point of comfort and uh, very comforting in this day and age when the world is collapsing around us. Now, the possible exception to the church being the only ones with resurrection or, or type, the type of bodies that can handle living up there, possibly I'd say maybe Enoch and Elisha remember what happened to them, and again it's a possibility, we're not really told we're not really told um, you know who knows, did it trip up, kill them, <laughs> we don't know I don't think so, I don't think so, um, and I'm not going to turn there, but in Genesis 5, 22 to 23, we got the, the Enoch, you know Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him, you know, okay and the same thing with Elijah, man. You know, just whoosh, right on up. There he goes. You know, and he, Elijah, and he dropped his mantle on Elisha. Not, you know, wish you'd have picked a different name. But anyway, I get those guys confused all the time. <laughs> the guy with the J went first. The guy with the SH was the second one. Doesn't that help? One, one more thing to remember to make things easier, right? <laughs> Yeah, you shall stay here. <laughs> no, King James, thou shall stay here. <laughs> okay, we've got now, and a, a side note, and we might look at this again if necessary. This may suffice today, but the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be resurrected at the opening of the millennium. Now, their resurrection is close, but it hadn't happened at this point. Let's look at Revelation 20, verse 4. Now remember, this, the, the coming's here. He's, Armageddon has taken place. The false prophet and the, and, the, and the Antichrist have been tossed into the lake of fire. Satan's bound for a thousand years. And now I saw the thrones as they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. See, they're going in 
And he said, and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were comp- completed. Now, the rest of the dead is going to be those uh, at the great white throne. That's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. This is the first resurrection, the one where the trib saints. And then look at Daniel 12. Talking about the Old Testament saints. <clears throat> Daniel 12, 1 and 2. And we're talking the end time, the time of the end. Now, at that time, Michael the great prince, you know that is Michael the archangel, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred there, there since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who was found written in the book, We'll be rescued. We'll go read about some. We'll be looking at that more of that next week. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And they'll they'll be getting rewards too. Look at this, verse three. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Old Testament saints will be rewarded as well. Okay? For their for their deeds. And tribulation saints. Okay, we we seen it. So their so their resurrection is doesn't happen till the very end when the tribulation period actually comes to an end and then we roll right into that millennial kingdom. Okay, just just it just rolls right in, and we'll talk about it again next week. And with things go right, maybe only next week. <laughs> now, the marriage of the Lamb. Let's go back and look at it. The marriage or the wedding. I'm just going to read off the notes here. <clears throat> was the biggest social event in the biblical world. It, it, it was. Weddings consisted of three distinct stages. Okay, the first stage was the betrothal, betrothal or engagement. It was it was legally binding and could only be broken by divorce. Now remember, the marriage couple has not began living together at all yet. This is like a long engagement. They could go on for a long time. Uh, we're familiar with the Matthew. In Matthew 1, we won't need to turn there, but uh, Joseph and Mary, they were in that betrothal stage when Mary was found with child. And so they go, hmm. And remember, Joseph, being a righteous man, didn't did not want to make a public spectacle of her, so he was going to put her away privately. And then he was visited by the angel and said, "Hey, don't worry about it." Now, this first stage of the marriage of the lamb, you know, if you look at the wedding whole wedding process, the first stage of the marriage of the lamb would be the rapture, when the bridegroom—that's the Lord—takes his bride to the Father's house introduces and then they have that long courtship okay and it seems reasonable that that for the church remember this is the church that's now completed the entire church everybody from the the 120 in the upper room to the last person saved prior to the rapture <laughs> okay that's the church that's the church and so <clears throat> and that's where let's look at John 14 that's where John 14 comes in a bit here
John 14, 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. <clears throat> and then, com- look at that. Let's compare that with John three twenty-eight and 29. Here's something we'll be reading again a little in about an hour or so. Uh, (laughs) Let me see, where was it? Yeah, 28. Okay. You yourselves, now this is John the Baptist speaking, by the way. Okay, John the Baptist is speaking. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who, is the, who, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. So that's kind of like the best man. The attitude of the best man is to share the joy with the, with the groom and help the guy out, get him going, you know, Try not to lose the ring, you know the whole thing. Uh, just make it work and just help out wherever you can and keep keep things moving. Help the family and all that. It's, it was because it was a huge deal. I mean, you can look at the wedding feast of Cana. There's a lot of people when they you had those six big crocks of water that the Lord turned to wine. I mean, they didn't consume all that in one day. That thing was probably a week, week and a half. Sometimes they'd go, they'd go that long. They would go that long. If people come in and, you know, and celebrate, all right? Well, then, which leads me to the next one. The second stage was the presentation that was a festive time that could last for several days. That's like the, at the wedding feast of Cana. Okay. <clears throat> and so we have the first stage, which was the church being raptured and brought up into heaven and introduced to the Father. And now you have the next stage uh, <clears throat> would be the time during the tribulation period when the church would be in heaven. And again, the church being represented by the the 24 elders. And so, and again, that presentation, that longer period of time, hey, in seven years, we're going to get to know a lot of people in heaven that are there think about it think about it I mean what a what a magnificent time we've got our glorified bodies and we're saying Moses how's it going man you know no <laughs> and, and Moses will be saying I'm going to get a body just like yours now, I don't know what they're going to say but it's it's going to be a blessed time you know and I don't want to make light of it it's just, it's really a tremendous tremendous time I mean even though they're still in the, the soul, we will be able to fellowship with them, praise God with them, you know. And the angels, goodness, I mean, it's it's uh, imperfection. It's just hard to imagine. No sin available. No, yeah, yeah, sin is not there. Yeah, Satan has been given his walking papers, so he's gone. Uh, and then the third stage 
is the actual ceremony during which the vows were exchanged, after which a meal would be served, and then following that is the consummation, what we sometimes would call the honeymoon. Now, one thing we see here, immediately following the supper, is the actual second coming. I often wonder, um, and all things are things are happening so fast. I mean, so fast. You know, you got you got the stuff that we talk about in the bowl judgments, and then this, and then and then chapter seventeen and eighteen describe the destruction of the harlot, destruction of the city of Babylon, and all that is just so rapid. It's really hard to keep them all straight. We just know that just one big flurry, and and it just very devastating to those who don't believe. And then the uh, <clears throat> the actual second coming is uh, talked about in Revelation nineteen Revelation nineteen eleven all the way through uh, chapter twenty verse two um, and the final event of that and you know that happens after the second coming the second coming is right there is nineteen eleven that's why I'm thinking part twelve should do it <laughs> and you can just read that we'll be reading through that next time. Now the bride is ready, verse 7 and 8, Revelation 19. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And the right, you know what the righteous acts of the saints are? Yeah, it's the works we do, Ephesians 2.10, created, you know, for the purpose of doing good work. We're his workmanship, created unto good works. That's part of it. I think there's more to that. I think Romans chapter 3. Again, there's a term that is often said and it's often said by people in the know that I listen to <laughs> and I happen to agree with them when you're talking about righteousness and everything else and what we have what we're going to be it's all of grace it's all of grace lest any man should boast it's all of the grace of God so I think what we're talking about here more than anything else, yes, we're going to do righteous things as believers. But what they're really looking at when we get to heaven, it's that imputed righteousness of Christ to us. Our sin was imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us. Think about that for a minute. What did we have to do with that? Zero. Nothing. It's all him. It's all grace. So... Uh, Romans three twenty four to twenty six being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the for the demonstration, I say of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ see we are justified by before the that propitiation means Christ's death on the cross satisfied all the just demands of a righteous holy God for our sin he paid it all fully satisfied fully satisfied a just and holy God and we are the benefactors of that uh, Romans 4 5 to 8 I mean Romans is just 
full of this. This is well. This is Romans. This is the. I mean, Romans is chapter one through eleven is the is a just one of the biggest treatises on the doctrine of salvation. You're, it's a masterpiece on the doctrine of salvation. It, it truly is. Uh, five through eight on Romans four says, uh, but the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness, or accounted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessings upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And what did we do that would warrant such an action from God? Nothing. Nothing. It's been done. Uh, 519, Romans. I mean, I just start twit- turning the pages. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. And I, I know I missed some. Uh, 519, for as though the, <clears throat> as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, that's Christ, the many will be made righteous. That's us. We will be up in heaven, righteous, without spot or wrinkle, wearing those white robes that are going to shine because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness being accounted to us. And we don't need to go on. Uh, I think Second Corinthians 5 to 1, you know, he became sin for us. Yeah, who you know who sinned became sin. Wow. I mean, that's... And in verse 9 of Revelation 19 again, where it says, uh, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ah, we got some guests here. I believe the guests will include, and I might say, as a member of the church, I would feel this way, um, the guests will include the Old Testament saints. They're there. They're there. They're going to be there. They'll be there in spirit. They won't have their resurrected bodies. Their resurrected bodies are like, man, the next day or something. You know, they're right They're right there. But they'll be in heaven awaiting resurrection. We saw that in, in Daniel. Well, Daniel 12, 13, we don't have time to go back there. But And then the souls of the martyred tribulation saints who are yet, not yet resurrected. We saw that in, in 20, verse 4. So the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints... Remember the souls under the altar, waiting, waiting. They're praying. They're the guests. They're the guests, and they're going to be witnessing all this. And somebody said, "Well, isn't that is, is that fair?" Yeah, it's fair. God is sovereign. That's how He chose to lay it out. It doesn't make us better or them worse or anything in between. That's just the way God is doing. It. That's the way it's revealed. Just, I just take it for what it is. I'm not trying to. Get, I mean, there's so much in here that I've tried to teach over the last weeks that. I see what it says. I don't fully understand, but I see what it says. You know, what are all these things are actually going to look like? <laughs> you know, and I don't care. I don't care. I mean, you're going to be there. It's all good. Yes, it's it's, it's all good. That's 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 the number one concern. That's the number one concern. That's it. That's it. Everything else is second. It's important to know, and I know some people wrongly think that studying prophecy you know uh, because oh we're not going to be in the church I've, I've heard that even here okay uh, I disagree all of God's word is important and I'll just leave it at that now 
verse, in verse 9 of Revelation 19, it says, uh, "These I love this, these are the true words of God. I think this is a strong word of encouragement to all the generations of the church who read this message. And you know what? I'm fully confident by looking at what's been said over the centuries and that has been written, not said so much, but written down about, say, the book of Revelation, the end times. Um, I mean, we're talking about brilliant people, like John Calvin, for example. Calvin's commentaries on the entire Bible. Eh, it's missing. He didn't do one on Revelation. <clears throat> he couldn't make heads or tails. It's, um, it's just a way to... In the early church, do you know what book of the New Testament they go back and they look and they're finding ancient manuscripts you want to guess which book of the Bible has the fewest manuscripts out there Revelation I mean Revelation was one of those books that uh, it it had it struggled being counted as part of the canon and so there wasn't that many copies made compared to like, the most copies made was the Gospel of John because the early church saw that like many of us see it what a great that's like one big gospel track man you <laughs> you read that that you know and so you see how these things go but um <clears throat> anyway enough of that but the it is like well revelation 1 3 um where it says blessed is he who reads it and these who fear the and, and hear hear fear hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in for the time is near see that i mean the time is near right there they're saying you know the they always had the the doctrine of the imminent return it was always referred to as an imminent return as we should view it as an imminent return because he could come back any day any day that that we shouldn't you know get like the the scoffers say, oh, all that stuff of his coming, you know, like Peter says, ah, they keep talking about his coming, you know. <laughs> but don't be like the scoffer. <laughs> no, just could come any moment, any moment. I guarantee you one thing, <laughs> a lot closer today than it was back when this was written, <laughs> you know. And um, I can understand people through the ages not getting all of it. You think about what's being said in this book. And you look at the technology that exists in our day. I can see, you know, I can see why they could say, "Well, the whole world's going to see something." <laughs> we know that that's a real possibility. Okay, so enough of that. And the Apostle John's reaction about he he fell at the feet of the angel. Well, I'll tell you, angels number one are pretty magnificent creatures. And I'll tell you, John was sitting there just being buried in mag just astounding information and after going through like 16 the bowl judgment 17 the destruction of the harlot 18 the destruction of babylon and now in here and he's going um you know, these are true words of God. And what happened? Boom, he fell on his feet. Well, he's talking about the marriage of the Lamb when things are, are getting all oh, good. And he just fell on his feet. I think he got caught up. Like, it's a big emotional response. And I want to compare that with in, in chapter 22, at the very end of the, you know, toward the end of the book. And John's going to bring this thing up again. 22, verse 6 through 9 says, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the, and, 
And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show me to his bondservant things which must shortly take place. And then Jesus speaks, and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. He says it again because he's like saying, man, I really didn't mean to do that. That was a wrong thing to do. And he's pressing the point, don't worship angels. There are people out there that worship, pray to angels. No. I know a lot in the Jewish faith do that. Even some Christians don't worship angels, pray to angels, pray to saints, or anybody else. There was one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. But you know what? We even have better than that. We have we want to. We've got direct access. We can pray right to the Father. We can pray right to the Son. We can pray right to the Holy Spirit. That's our blessed privilege as being children of God. And the Word of God, we know what that is. All these verses you can take home and look up on your own. We don't need to read them here. And I'm going to close in prayer and we will move on. We, won't, we don't want to mess up the other guy's time. <laughs> Please don't don't stop. <laughs> Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for your word, and most of all, Lord, we thank you for your grace. And oh, how we need your grace today! In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.